You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Good morning, Common Ground. For those who don't know me, I'm Josh Stuglet. I went to Common Ground for two years, but now live in the Kansas City metro area. Today's Advent theme is waiting, and I'll be reading from Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Merry Christmas, common ground. Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but that kind of just made my day. <laughs> um, so, good morning, Common Ground. My name is Nick Rombo. I am the skipper of Discipleship, I guess, is the title that's been hurled upon me. I know it's a bad pun, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not excited about it either. Uh, <laughs> but glad to be able to serve in any capacity that I can. Um, I am so glad that Josh read from uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning. Uh, we are actually in the book of Ruth. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you would, to turn to Ruth chapter 2. Uh, and I would also encourage you to be reading through the entire book of Ruth over and over and over again, because it's only four chapters and it doesn't take very long at all. And while you're reading through the book of Ruth, read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, because that's what we're doing right now is we're, we're, we're kind of scouting out the, as Evan said last week, connecting the dots from the story of Ruth to the Christmas story and preparing our hearts uh, to celebrate Christ once again. So um, I'm going to read the entire chapter of Luke chapter 2, and then we're going to kind of break it down a little bit. So if you're there, uh, join with me and uh, follow along as I read. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and harvested in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the harvesters answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the harvesters. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to harvest in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are harvesting and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Uh, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law and her mother... I'm having a hard time reading this. I need large print, I think. Let me go back to verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field 
you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given to us um, a means by which we can know you and uh, know what your heart is like. And especially, Lord, to know what how your heart is for us. Um, God, we're living in a day right now where we really need to be reminded of that. So we pray that this little chapter in this little book of the Old Testament um, might serve as, well, a conduit, Lord, for you to bring blessing uh, to all the hearers. So, God, may you be present here. May your spirit um, make your make make your intentions, make your heart, make your will known to us today. We pray uh, in Jesus' name. So, I'm going to start off by telling a story that's different from this story, but related in a way. In 1740, at the age of 14. There was a certain individual that left home, actually ran away from home, to go and fight in the French and Indian War. Some years later, he entered the colonial army at the rank of colonel. Wouldn't that be great to just, you know, skip boot camp and just be elevated to a a colonel just like that? So he must have distinguished himself mightily during the French and Indian Wars. Well, this colonial colonel led a thousand men up into Quebec and fought the Battle of Quebec there. And then he and Ethan Allen uh, liberated uh, Ticonderoga. And then he was elevated to Brigadier General in the Colonial Army. If I stop the story right there, many people would probably think I'm talking about this guy named George Washington. But I'm not. Because in 1780, this same individual collaborated with the British and gave them control of West Point. Now you might know who I'm talking about. Uh, A guy who could have been a national hero because of that war record. I mean, he was on a fantastic trajectory. And then something happened. And he decided that he would go the way of the British. I don't know, maybe they offered him titles, maybe they offered him land, uh, I I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, he decided to betray the cause that he had fought so hard to defend. And now his name, Benedict Arnold, has become synonymous with traitor. You see, sometimes we think we know the whole story, but we only have part of the story. If I hadn't told you about the betrayal, um, you know, we probably would have been a little misled as to who this individual that we are talking about here. And the same thing is true as we approach the Bible. Sometimes we think we know the whole story. Sometimes we we think we know how things are going to end. And then uh, God, well, he, he pulls a surprise on us. Uh, he's, he's doing that all the way through the entire Bible. I mean, you look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And you would think, oh, this is bad, this is bad. But then along come his lunkhead brothers, and he forgives them. I referred a couple weeks ago to Jacob and Esau. You would have thought that that would have ended in blood. But it ended in tears and reconciliation and forgiveness 
Now, all through the Bible, we think we know the story, and then God comes along and changes things for us. So, last week, Evan started us off in this celebration that we're calling Back to Bethlehem. And uh, he told us the story of Naomi and the very dark and dismal situation uh, that she was in. And in fact, um, all of Israel was in a very dark and dismal situation in the setting of the book of Ruth. Uh, it was the days when the judges ruled. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. Boy, I'm giving you all kinds of Bible reading assignments. I guess that's what a skipper of discipleship does. <laughs> Start reading the book of Judges, too, so that you get kind of the context, the cultural context of what was going on in the book of Ruth. Because, again, it was a very dark time. And if that was all of God's story, then uh, yeah, it would not be very encouraging whatsoever. But you see, it's just a chapter. Just one chapter in God's entire story. And I want to talk to you and myself today because we're probably in one of those chapters. We might be in one of those times when things aren't going so good. We might be feeling a little weary, exhausted, a little beaten up, uh, a little frustrated, discouraged. I just want to remind you, that's just one chapter. It's not the whole story. And Naomi and Ruth are going to provide for us a good parallel as well into God's entire story, um, how he's still at work and how he's still doing things. So here's an interesting thing about what I just read here. As we said, this was in the days that the judges ruled. The story of Boaz and Ruth takes place about... 20 years after the death of Joshua. So that would be very early in to the book of Judges. And based on Boaz's age and the time and the the birth of of his descendants and and leading up through the history of Israel, um, it's believed that this story took place at the time when the judge Ehud ruled. Now, that's an interesting story. You should read that one. I'm not going to go into it. But I'll just say this much, is that God called up, he raised up Ehud, because there was a certain king by the name of Eglon. And uh, if if you've seen the Star Wars movies, you know Jabba the Hutt? Yeah, there he is, okay? Great big old guy. And uh, and, and he he called Ehud to take care of this, because Eglon, this king, was severely oppressing Israel at that time, making life extremely dark and dismal and difficult for them. And Eglon was the king of Moab, the place that Ruth came from. I like that. I heard someone go, ooh. (laughs) So you see the story. We're just getting parts of it. It's starting to come together here. So I would imagine that Ruth, the Moabitess, might have had a few dark glances come her way from the people in Bethlehem. There was probably lots and lots of talk going on about this Moabitess who had come along with Naomi to live in the land of Israel in Bethlehem. She's one of those. 
But a lot of the talk that was going around wasn't quite what I think was expected based on what Boaz says here. So I want to just break this this chapter down as briefly and as quickly as I can. Um, I like to call this chapter the channels of blessing chapter. Okay? Uh, because there's there's something in the Bible that's just, uh, well, I should say the whole Old Testament is just kind of saturated in this Hebrew word, okay? And it's one that's probably not very familiar to us. So let me, let me explain this Hebrew word this way. Uh, you know the Apostle Paul, okay? Hebrew, but wrote in Greek, okay? Thought in Hebrew, wrote in Greek. You're familiar with Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Okay, First Corinthians chapter thirteen. What's that chapter about? Love. Yeah. And that's where we get the word agape. Now you, you kind of understand the word agape, that Greek word, you know, unconditional love. We're talking about the grace of God in here. Well, when Paul, writing in Greek, wrote agape, he was thinking in Hebrew, chesed. And that's the Hebrew word that we now know as unconditional love, grace, grace beyond reckoning. I think uh, if I can go back to how, Evan, how you described it last week, it was the never stopping, never giving up, never breaking, always and forever love of God. So when you're reading through the Old Testament and you see something about God's mercy, God's loving kindness, blessing upon his people, chesed, that's, that's it. The whole story of the Old Testament is saturated in this idea of hesed. And so in the second chapter of Ruth, um, we're, we're going to see channels of blessing at work here. Uh, channels of hesed. All right? So again, remember, our stories might be a little dark, might be a little frightening. Uh, we might have a dismal chapter or two, but again, they're only chapters. And in the midst of those chapters, we can look for and we can even be conduits of of blessing. So in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, what we see here is a woman outstanding in her field. Okay, yeah, I'll give you a minute for that. That wasn't that great of a pun, but yeah. and, and that was Ruth. She's she says, "Hey, hey, mom, Naomi, I, I'm going to go out into the fields and I'm going to pick up uh, the gleanings that are laying there in the field." Now that might seem kind of strange to us, but see, that was part of God's plan way back in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, Leviticus. There's another one to read. Woohoo! <laughs> but there's actually some really cool stuff in Leviticus. Like, for example, uh, God instructed Israel that when you harvest. Okay, And they tended to kind of harvest in a circular pattern, but in a square plot of land. That, that would leave the corners unharvested. Plus, they would drop some of the, the crop that they were harvesting. And God says, you leave those corners and you don't pick up what you dropped. You know why? Because that's how they took care of the homeless. That's how they took care of the, the stranger in the land, the the person who was not an Israelite but dwelling amongst them. That's how the widows could gather food. So it was quite common during harvest that a lot of people would flock to the fields and just kind of stand off in the distance and wait. And then as soon as it was clear they could step in and they could they could grab some stuff so that they could take it home and then they had something to put in their larders, in their pantries. So that's that's what Ruth's going to do here. How she knew about that? 
Maybe the reputation of Israel? I don't know. <laughs> but she tells Naomi, that's what I'm going to do. All right? And Naomi says, all right, go for it. Sounds good. Now remember, Naomi, she's not in a good place. As far as she's concerned, God's done with her. As far as she's concerned, God has cursed her. As far as she's concerned, God has said is not for her. Because she's in one of the darkest, most dismal, most difficult times or chapters of her life. And then I love that where it says that Ruth just happened to come to the field owned by Boaz. I think we need to be perfectly clear about something here that when God is involved in our life, nothing just happens to happen. So here's God being the main channel of blessing, already at work, already preparing something really cool to happen. As we read on, we see in verses 4 through 7 this this really kind of interesting arrival. Onto the scene comes Boaz. <laughs> we really don't know anything about Boaz at this point. Okay? But now we know that he owns a field, and we know that Ruth is working in his field, and then he comes riding up and sees his workers out there, and the first thing out of his mouth is, The Lord be with you. This is the days of the judges. This is the day when everybody has turned their back on God. This is, these are the days when they have forgotten God. These are the days where everybody was just trying to fend for themselves and figure out life and be the captain of their own souls. It was not a good time. It was not Israel's high point in their relationship with Yahweh. It was quite the opposite. But even though that was the culture of that time, Here comes Boaz, and the first thing he says to his workers is, essentially, Emmanuel. Because that's what that name means, God with us. That's what he wished for his people. That's what he wanted them to experience, the presence of God in their lives. And so what we see coming out of Boaz's mouth in that moment is, Hesed. And then his workers respond, and the Lord bless you. And out of their mouths, they return, has said. Channels of blessing going back and forth. It just so happened that Ruth ended up in the field of probably the most righteous man in that day. Only God can put those things together. Now as we read on, uh, we see... Boaz and Ruth kind of, kind of having a little, well, not quite yet having exchange. He's, he notices Ruth, okay? So there's going to be this weird kind of marriage proposal that happens, and I'm so glad Evan gets to talk about that one. Uh, uh, and, uh, no spoilers there, it's coming. Uh, but I want you to know that Boaz was sending out some pretty strong signals in chapter 2, okay? This... this uh, this marriage proposal just didn't come out of nowhere, all right? Because first of all, he rides in there, you know, he's greeting his workers, and he's like, ooh, who is that? <laughs> and so he starts inquiring about her, just like any middle school boy would do. Oh, who's that girl? <laughs> and, uh, and, and as they're talking about that, we, we see that this woman has a reputation, this Moabite. Only it's not the reputation that we would expect. 
I think people were quite shocked about Ruth. They said, man, you should, have you heard about what Ruth has done? The incredible loyalty that, he is, that she has shown to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She has attached herself to a woman that has no hope. And that speaks highly of dignity and, and character. And Boaz is like taking notes. Okay, it's a good thing. And they, they start talking about how she's been working. She got here early in the morning and she's hardly stopped. She just took one little rest over there in the, in, in the booth there and just you know, got out of the shade for a little bit. And she is just going after it, Boaz. You should, man, you should watch her work. And so in this part of the chapter, we kind of have, well, there it is, this very, very dark time. little glimmer. You know what it's like, right? You've been in a dark place, trying to find your bearings, wonder where you're at, and then all of a sudden, oh, there it is. This little bit of light in the darkness. That's Boaz, and that's Ruth. Both of them. Light in the darkness. Then we get to our verses 8 through 13. And Again, something very strange happens in this passage here because we're going to see Boaz do everything he can to keep Ruth's reputation and dignity intact. I mean, if anything, this was probably the first anti-sexual harassment policy established in the workplace by Boaz. Now again, remember, these are the days of judges where every person did what they felt like. And he knows that. So he says, I know what happens to women in the field. I know the risk that they're taking. And this is long before the Me Too movement. And Boaz is like, no way movement. That's not going to happen in my field. And then we kind of see this revolving door of kindness happen. <laughs> From Boaz to Ruth to Boaz to Ruth in, in this story. And the most amazing thing in there is that what Boaz is doing in this passage is he's giving his said to a Moabite. Of all people, he's pouring that out to her. And then again, we see him uh, protecting her reputation. You know, he's heard about this. He's, he's heard about how she forsook her land, she forsook her people, she forsook her gods in order to come under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And if you think about this, this little part of the story is really the big point of the entire Bible. Because that has always been God's passion, that has always been God's heart, that his name would be made known to all the peoples. And that was Israel's job. They were to be witnesses to the uttermost ends of the earth. Now, that wasn't a new job assignment that Christ gave to his disciples. We were just supposed to pick up where they left off. And so here we see that fulfillment because a Moabite is willing to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to see that her kindness to Naomi, which was talked about so much and that Boaz knew about, is something that led to kindness from Boaz to Ruth. See how that works, these channels of blessing? 
once we start doing that, and I think we're living in a time where we really have to do that more, it just starts going everywhere. Then we get to verses 14 through 17. And uh, we we see you know Boaz stops at dinner time and everybody stops to eat. Uh, the foreigners and the widows and and the homeless are out there still working in the field. And Boaz says, "Hey, uh, Ruth, come on over and sit at my table." Strong signal. Okay. All right. Dining together. That was huge. And not only does he sit. Yeah, it's obviously that he's like. In fact, why don't you just sit right here? Because <laughs> he sat close enough where he could pass her the roasted grain, you know. And he just kept giving it to her. Kept giving it to her. And she's like, what is, what is going on here? People don't treat me. It's, she's, like, I've never been treated so well in my life. And uh, finally she's like, oh my goodness, like, I'm full. <laughs> and Boaz said, yeah, that's all right. Keep the rest. You, you can have that. Take the leftovers with you too. And then she goes back to work and, and, and she just, she makes a haul bringing in this barley. An ephah of barley is basically 30 pounds. And this is after she pounded it out. She had 30 pounds of barley flour. That made, she could probably make about approximately 30 loaves of bread after one day's work. You know that story in the New Testament where you know Peter's been out fishing all night and he's not in a very good mood? And then this rabbi comes up to him and says, can I borrow your boat? I think people could hear me better if I stood in your boat. And he's like, okay, fine, get in my boat. And and then after Jesus is done preaching from Peter's boat, he says, hey, why don't we go out a little bit and let down the nets? And Peter's like, you're an idiot. It's daytime. We don't fish in the daytime. Besides, I've been fishing all night long, and we haven't caught a stinking thing. Hint, hint. Carpenter, not a fisherman. Jesus, I still think you ought to try it. Try that side. He was like, all right, all right, fine. So he does. Next thing you know, the boat's starting to tip because the nets are so full. And they start reeling in. I mean, they're, they're swamping the boat. They had to call. They had to call his business partners in, James and John and Zebedee. They had to come rushing over there to help him with the nets. Let's say capsize the fishing boat. I gotta imagine that Jesus just sitting in that boat while it's rocking along, watching Peter and just laughing his head off. And he knew he was giving something to Peter there. Yeah, he was. He was giving nets full to breaking. That's how God has said works. Nets full to breaking. God just wants to swamp our boats. He just wants to keep giving and giving beyond satisfaction. He wants us to have plenty of leftovers so that we can take it and give it to somebody else. So when we read about Jesus being the good shepherd, uh, and, and he talks about how the enemy wants to come and steal and destroy and to, and to kill, Jesus says, I've come to give life and life abundant. And, and that's the picture that we have here in, in Ruth chapter 2. That Boaz is pouring that abundance into Ruth. A woman that probably thinks she was the least to deserve it. And she's given the most. And again, that's what said means. It means when, when we get the most from someone we should least expect it from. And, and that's how God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness and God's love is poured out to us. We get the most, and we should expect it the least from Him. But that's how He enters into our chapters. 
Then we get to the closing verses of this, verses 18 through 23. Uh, Ruth goes back home to Naomi, tells her about her incredible day that she's just had and how she was able to work unmolested. She said, in fact, um, he actually moved me from the other party and let me work right along with his harvesters. He made it easy for me to succeed. And Naomi's like, that's all right. Mm -hmm. You know, life sucks. All our husbands are dead. We don't have any hope. No, she's like, what? What? What What happened? This blew her away. And she said, blessed be this man. Hesed. Naomi just said Hesed. Remember, that was Naomi in chapter 1 that says, don't call me delightful, call me bitter, because I left full and came back empty. But now she's saying Hesed to that man. And then Ruth, while she's probably just chattering along, so excited about how things went, said something about his name is Boaz or something like that. And Naomi, her ears perk up because she's like, he, he's a close relative of Elimelech. Now here's something else about the law in the book of Leviticus that's really cool. If a man died and left his family defenseless and without ability to get by, then the closest relative, usually a brother, stepped up and said, okay, I'll take care of them. I mean, even to the point that if he was single, he would single, he would marry her to carry on the name of his dead brother. And they called that individual the kinsman redeemer. Galal, I think it was in Hebrew. And, and so when Naomi heard that name Boaz, she went, Oh, there might be a chance for us because he could redeem us. And, and really that word means guardian. Okay, that, that, That's one who would protect us and provide for us. And so again, she says, may he be blessed, has said. And then as Ruth continued her story, Naomi says it's good. This is a woman that once said nothing's good. There's nothing good about my life whatsoever. And now something is happening in chapter 2 where she says, it's good. So, to wrap it up, here's the main points I think that this story is telling us. The first one is, Naomi is in a dark place spiritually at the end of Ruth chapter 1. And so is all of humanity in the opening chapter of God's entire story. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. That's for you, Ray Straub. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we are not in a good place. It's as dark as it could be, separated from God. Like Naomi, some of us are not in a good place at this chapter of our lives. And then we see Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a woman who demonstrates a life-altering faith. I mean, obviously, to, to leave everything that she was familiar with in Moab, to take on the worship of Yahweh and to associate with Israel, to make Naomi's people her people, that is life-altering faith. 
we see that she becomes a conduit for Hesed. Okay, you ready for this? As is Mary of Nazareth, who becomes the conduit for Hesed incarnate, Jesus Christ. God's amazing love, unbreakable, unshakable, never forsaken, amazing mercy and loving kindness and grace in flesh. And then we see Boaz in this chapter. And as I said, Boaz is a righteous man and he was willing to protect the vulnerable and see to it that she was taken care of. As was Joseph. Who, when he found out about his promised bride being with child, I'm sure said, well, that's not good. And he was actually thinking, maybe I should separate myself from her if this is the case. But God sent a messenger to Joseph and said, oh, no, no, stay with her. You're her kinsman redeemer in this time. And he protected her reputation and saw to it that her needs were met. All being a blessing to her. And then we come back to Naomi again at the end of this chapter and we see that Naomi is in a much better place spiritually than she was previously. And there's still more to come. As it could be for us if we step into the right field. If we enter in to the harvest of Jesus Christ, if we see him as our kinsman redeemer, sent by God to bring light into the darkness of our stories, and to find out that we can experience that amazing has said simply by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I am so glad that Josh read Luke chapter 1. Because I had no idea that's what he was going to read today. And I wanted to read the end of Luke chapter 1. You remember that conversation that Josh read about, you know, about favor? Favor for me? How is it that I find favor? Remember Ruth? Favor? Why would you give favor to me? Evan closed with Old Little Town of Bethlehem, a Christmas song last week, which I thought was appropriate. I'm going to close with the very first Christmas song ever. Okay? Mary's Song of Praise. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And that's what God does for each and every one of us. He looks down on our broken, humble estate. For behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done a great thing for me, and holy is his name. 
And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever and ever. See, that's the deal. God has made promises and He keeps them. He keeps them. And the weird thing is, as though we're the least deserving of it, He keeps them for us. So Merry Christmas. And may you all receive said from the Lord. And may you give said back to all those around you. And I think Matt's going to come up and close us off in worship. I'll come back for a benediction.
common commoners and all those who don't commonly call common ground the commonplace. May you find yourself standing in the right field while you're in the in-between time. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord in your weakness make you strong. And in your nakedness clothe you with his righteousness. May you be full of the grace and mercy and love of the Lord. So full that you have so many leftovers to give away. Thanks for being with us today. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.